0: Hello friends, this is Greece Alvis and welcome to Tales of Recovery. Today's episode, I have a phenomenal guest, her name is Lisa Michelle. She's the founder of NSA Ministries, No Strings Attached and Healing the Exploited. She is a domestic sex trafficker, victim advocate, and a mentor for the exploited. She's a speaker. She has an amazing story of recovery herself, and it's an honor to have her come on here and share her story and how... Her recovery process has now helped her bring out this amazing soul purpose for her life, helping others. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you for coming on.
1: Hey. Hey, Greece! It's so awesome to be on here. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's uh, the work that you're doing is so powerful, and it's really hard work. I think. Thank you. it yeah. is a
1: blessing to be able to reach out to other women that are really hurting right now and to help them find their journey in healing.
0: Yeah. So please tell us what it is exactly kind of what you're doing right now specifically. And then we can go into how you got there in the beginning.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, right now, No Strings Attach is a nonprofit in San Antonio, Texas. And once a month, we go out to our local strip clubs and our brothels. And a modern-day brothel is called an illicit, illicit massage business. Um, they look like, you know, a day spa or um, a nail salon. And a lot of times, they're offering a lot more than just that. Hmm. And so when we go in there, we visit the girls that work them, work there and bring them a handmade gift and let them know that we see them and that we understand the realities of working in the sex industry and how difficult it can be. And we also want to look and see if we identify any women that could be there that are against their will, that are being sex trafficked. Right. So we reach out to them and let them know that we have resources and that we have a community of women that understand and that can help them through the process of journeying out of the sex industry.
0: And how are you guys received there? Is it common that girls want help? Is it how often do you have to go back in order for them to be able to trust you and think, well, maybe I'll go with them? Do you work in conjunction with the right. police as well when there's somebody there being held against their will?
1: Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, when we first started going to the clubs, it and it just took a lot of groundwork and a lot of trust building between the owners and the managers and the girls that work there. Um, In the beginning, when you first walk into a strip club with cupcakes and and going, what are you doing here? You know, and the more they got to know us and the more they understood what we were doing and how we were helping the girls and then watching us, you know, physically helping each girl and seeing their journey um, the more the clubs really started to embrace everything. So it's been almost seven years that we've been going in, and the trust between both us, the organization, and the clubs is just phenomenal. Now, if you the, the massage callers are a little bit different, and a lot of the girls don't speak English. So that is going to take even more time to build that up, um, but we're hoping that we'll see the same thing in that as well.
0: So the club owners don't mind that you go in there and take their dancers away..
1: Take your girls away and take them out of the industry. What ends up happening is, um, like this Saturday we went out and we met a girl that has seen us come in for years but was scared to talk to us. And so every time she saw us come in, she was like, was somewhere else, but we met gifts with the house mom. And so she would come and get her gift, but after we left. And so um, this particular time, we walked right in, and her and I were face to face. She had nowhere to go, and she looked at me, and she, hell, she was really nervous to talk to me. But she was, she knew that it was time, and she looked at me and said, "Tonight's my last night working here." Mm. And I went, "Okay," and I, I said, "What's going on?" She goes, "Well, I'm getting married in a few months, and my fiance doesn't want me working here." My mom's been trying to encourage me to stop working here. And she goes, and I've read about what you guys do. And I think I need your help because I don't think I can do it on my own. And she's like, and it's no mistake. You just walked in right now because at one o'clock tonight, that's it for me. I'm done. Mm -hmm. And she's like, but I don't, I know I can't do this on my own. I need an army of women to surround me and to love me and to help me through this. And it was such a divine appointment. And that is exactly why we set this nonprofit up. So that woman is already made that decision on her own, but she needs support and she needs resources. And a lot of times we just met with her yesterday. We gave her a care package. We gave her resources to get her started on the healing process. We invited her to a conference that I'm speaking at next week and we're going to we're just going to wrap our arms around her and she'll have probably like five or six women that are instantly going to be her friends and start inviting to her to all kinds of things that'll help her and that'll help her see her potential and find out who she really is. Who is she? going to blossom into because she got wrapped up into that sex industry and she doesn't even know the root causes yet but that's what we're going to help her identify and find out so when the owners you know hear these stories and they say oh she." She was already on her way out. Or this one's a mm. drug addict and needs to get into recovery. And can you help her? Because they see how bad she is and they don't want her in that position. She's not helping anybody in the club by being strung out every night and she's hurting herself and her children and stuff. So they'll we'll be the first phone call when it comes to it's I basically see us as like a chaplain over the clubs. Um, we're that first phone call from a house mom or from an owner or a manager saying, Hey, Lisa, we have a girl that we'd like to have you help us with. So they actually see it as helping, you know, they don't like to see, you know, they, they care as well for humanity and for women. And when women are really struggling, they don't really have a safe place to go. And especially in this industry, a lot of them don't even tell their mothers or their family don't even know that they're, they're out there stripping. I mean, in the daytime, they're working at Costco or Starbucks or somewhere else. And then at night, they're in the club and nobody knows they're even there. So it's a very hidden secret for them. And they don't have any place to reach out and tell someone. So when we walk in, they do feel a bit exposed. right? And they do feel like, but then they get to know us and they, they know and they've heard stories. They all talk. Oh, well, NSA did this with this girl. And so they just, they, they love us. And I'm so grateful for that relationship and how God has mm-hmm. just, opened up, you know, those, um, clubs and those relationships with the managers and owners.
0: That's very powerful. It's wonderful that you're there when yeah. they're ready. Um, so you talked about some of the therapy that you guys offer for these girls. I, I was interested in listening about one of the things you mentioned last night when we were talking about this recording was, um, how the brain is so amazing and how it has this huge capacity to heal, uh, in particular body trauma. So you mentioned equine therapy and other forms of therapy besides um clearly of course coming alongside them and creating a community of other women that that will help them. But can you tell us some of the um some of the tools and opportunities that you offer these girls in their healing journey?
1: Yeah, so there's whole yoga, trauma informed whole yoga. That's a really amazing tool. Um, just getting used to your body and Um, learning different things through movement and just spending quality time with the Lord. It is an amazing modality. And then we have um, counselors that we can refer our girls to that are trauma informed and that offer the EMDR. And for me personally, the EMDR was a game changer for me. And Still to this day, if I get triggered, that is my first go-to. I will be like, okay, I need to go get an EMDR session now. Because I know when something gets stirred up in me and all of a sudden I'm reacting emotionally to something, I know I've gotten triggered. I need to work on that. There's something still in me that is still bound up and I still need healing in that place. So that's another modality. The other one is equine therapy, which is our most favorite one. Um, just because I love horses. I grew up around some horses and just always had a real love for them. But um, horses have this amazing ability to pull out of you Mm -hmm. (laughs) things that you didn't even know were in you. Mm -hmm. And um, watching a woman walk onto the property and be so unsure about what we're about ready to do. And then just watching her blossom. I, I equate equine therapy with like two or three sessions of talk therapy even more I mean so like just you could get in one session with an equine therapy with spending time with a horse and it's all you know purposed um, very strategic and what we're doing the exercises that we do but one session with a horse can be equal to two to three sessions of talk therapy or EMDR even So um, we've seen an incredible breakthrough with with that.
0: The the energy of the horses is so magical and powerful. Do you guys make, like, do they have to ride the horse? Do they have to just hang out with the horse? What is it that you do?
1: Um, Well, it just depends on what, what we do. Check in with each girl. Um, and we talk about where they are for that day emotionally and and what we're going to do and see where their comfort level is at. Sometimes it might be we have them just brushing the horses and grooming and talking to the horse and walking around the horse. It might be as simple as that. Um, Other exercises could be um, painting the horse. We have um, non-toxic paint and we paint on the horses, which can be very th- therapeutic with art and everything. And then um, just like one of the sessions is um, we have a little, you know, like PVC pipe and we bring the horse and set the, the horse inside that PVC pipe. And it's like a little square. And we have, we talk about um, the where she's at and everything and, and where her biggest struggle is right now. And then we have her step inside that box with the horse and to stay there with that horse and to tell her story mm-hmm. and to just talk to the horse and tell that horse everything she's feeling. And you would be amazed at what the horse receives. I mean, it starts reacting to her emotions and we can tell what she's going through and what she's saying to that horse, just by the horse's reaction. And we're not listening. We're standing back and letting her have her time. And so then when she's done, she has a release and then it's the most amazing thing to watch the horse because the horse, (laughs) it will actually try and get rid of the emotions. It'll physically need to do something to get rid of all those toxic emotions that were in her. Wow. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And then the relationship starts to build between that woman and that horse. Um, many of the women that come to equine therapy are actually scared of horses and have had some, so, I mean, I think we all have as a child had some sort of scary experience with a horse. So that's another area that we help with as well, making them comfortable around the horses.
0: That's so awesome. It's like the horse has Reiki powers. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> right? So. And, yeah. So that I just you know, the, I I just wanted to say the EMDR therapy is the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, right? So that's another integrative yeah. psychotherapy approach, and then the equine therapy, and of course spending time with God and all these other um, amazing support groups. How did you create this program, or what led you to? you know, follow your intuition or be guided by the spirit of God into, into, into creating this, um, you know, this, this beautiful program.
1: Uh, it wasn't something that was on my radar. I had never ever imagined that I'd be where I am today, especially, um, through the healing in my mind and in my body and my emotions for sure. Uh, When I was a little girl, growing up for me was um, a very toxic, broken environment. My dad was a bartender. My mom was a waitress. They were barely getting along, Um, you know, financially, physically, everything. I mean, their marriage was a hot mess at the time. And um, my dad was an alcoholic. And every time he drank, he went into these major rages and he would beat my mom on a regular basis he would beat us kids we witnessed violent acts against other people against other animals I and mean, just horrific things happened in our home and as a child i didn't feel safe and i lived in fear all the time so it was really scary for me and and during this time, since my dad drank so much, he, I think he grew up in a culture like this, but he gave us alcohol from a very young age. So he would give me vodka and beer a lot. And, um, he actually would give me alcohol before he would abuse me as well. So, um, for, by the time I was 12 years old, I started drinking on my own because I was craving the alcohol and already it was in my system. I was already addicted to it, hanging out in the streets of San Francisco right. and just, you know, living this misfit teenage life and not having any direction and wanting to escape my family life. Um, my, I had a close family member that sexually abused me for over 10 years. And wow. it was so continuous and started at such a young age that um, I didn't know it was wrong, so I became hypersexualized. This man was one of the most vile, disgusting, perverted men you've ever met in your life. He was a grandfather figure. He ran the local mortuary um, that was right across the street from our house. He was a funeral director. And he lived in an apartment on top of that funeral home. And my mom was going through a divorce with my dad and had no idea, but she would leave me for the weekend with him. And we thought he was a safe place. But every time I went for the weekend, I was drugged. Mm -hmm. And I was forced to sit in front of the TV and watch pornography for hours on end. And then he sexually exploited me through the use of pornography.
0: Uh
1: And to this day, the things that happen inside that mortuary are straight up out of a horror film and things that are just. You don't even want to ever even share the stories. They're so horrific. But what happened to me was um, those I was seven years old when it started, and it went to the age of nine. And those years of that complex trauma happening to my brain left me in a mentally unstable place. So I started turning to drugs and alcohol, and then I met my first boyfriend on, a, actually, it was a strip in San Francisco that it was all strip clubs, but at the end of it were two heavy metal clubs, and we would sit in the alleyway, and we would drink. We'd drink Thunderbird, and we were, I was 17 at the time, and for whatever reason, the back door to that heavy metal club opened, and there was a guy that would come back and forth, and he offered us fake IDs. We came into the club, and we just started partying, hanging out with all these rockers. And next thing you know, I'm whisked off to across the country with the drummer of this huge 80s rock and roll band. Mm-hmm. And I'm living life on the road uh, with Guns and Roses and Poison and Tesla and Great White and Aerosmith and just living this hardcore, heavy metal lifestyle. Wow. And um, it was about four years that I was doing that. And a couple times, I almost bit it because I almost OD'd. I was introduced to hardcore drugs during that time, and um, my boyfriend said, "You need to get help." And I remember it was the first time I felt like somebody actually cared about me because he said, "You've got to get in a rehab or you're gonna end up dead, Lisa." You have no control over these drugs. And he, for some reason, he could not stand drugs, but he was an alcoholic, and he drank all the time. But drugs for him were like the end. You know, he did not want anything to do with drugs. Mm-hmm. And he told me that when I first met him. If you bring drugs into my house, you're out of here. Um, he's obviously had some bad experiences. So I ended up being a drug addict. So I moved back to California with the intent to get into recovery. I did. I started waitressing in the diner. I got into AA and it was amazing. It was exactly what I needed. My mom even started going with me and trying to support my sobriety. And um, then then I went to school to become a makeup artist. And that only took a few months. It took about three months to get that license. And on my first day of work as a makeup artist, I was asked to go into the underground club scene. And
0: by now you're about 21 years old, right?
1: Yeah, and so yeah, I was about right around that age, and so um, I walked into this club that night. The owner introduced himself to me, sent me a bottle of Dom Perignon, and that was it for me. He was a huge socialite, Uh introduced Uh me to all these celebrities, and I was just drawn into that whole lifestyle. So unfortunately, my sobriety was short-lived, and for almost eight years, I lived that lifestyle, and it was really just like four nights a a week while trying to hold down my job, partying, partying, partying. But what happened was towards the end of it, I really got strung out and I just started to question my lifestyle. I started to feel really empty inside. I felt hopeless and I felt like I had no future. I just felt like, gosh, what am I doing with my life? I'm 28 years old and my life is just not amounted to anything. And is this what I have is drugs and alcohol and men and sex like this is it and so I started to question things and while I'm having this stirring inside of me you know and and questioning things I a simple church invite was what changed the destiny of my life and I was working in a salon and this guy invited me to church and I just thought there's no way I ended up there that Sunday for all the wrong reasons and um I, that story's hilarious. I think I told it to you last night. And it's a lot just of cute guys in the church. To to church. Yeah. yeah. So I showed up. I kept showing up every single Sunday for all the wrong reasons because I was going there looking for men. I just went from looking in the clubs to looking at the church. And I dated half the guys in that church. And I really was going for the wrong reasons. I had terrible motives. But what happened was I started to hear this message. About a father's love that I had never experienced here on this earth. Mm. About a daddy that I had never gotten as a little girl that I craved so badly. All I wanted was my dad to be my dad and he couldn't because he was so stuck in his addiction. And he is to this day... And it's so heartbreaking because I never got that dad that I really craved as a little girl. So I went and looked for it in every single place I could find an open door. And I couldn't find it. But the more I heard that I had a daddy in heaven and that I was a daughter of the king, the more I was drawn in, the more I said, I want to be a part of that. And so I gave my life to the Lord. I got baptized in that church. And I did a full 180 and just completely stopped going to the clubs and God totally transformed me and all the drugs, the alcohol, everything just gone out of my life. It was just like cold turkey. Even my smoking, I smoked cigarettes and I was a heavy smoker. And that took a couple times for me for some reason. But by the fourth time, that was it for me. I was like, I'm done. Cold turkey. This is it. And that was my last vice. And I was like, okay, Lord, so I was sold out for him, and then I met my husband shortly after that at that same church, (laughs) and um, we got married. We moved to Arizona, and what happened during this time was I heard this woman speaking publicly about being sexually abused, and as she was telling her story, I literally sat there shaking. My entire body was having a physical reaction. My hands started sweating. I couldn't I started to get really angry at her because she was saying words out loud I never heard anybody say. She was describing her sexual abuse in detail. And I quickly realized that she was articulating what I had been through as a little girl, mm-hmm. but I'd never given voice to her, and I'd never heard anybody speak out loud. So for me, it was a defining moment in my life. I sat there just going, what do I do with this? What's happening to me right now? And so at the end of her story, she said, if you haven't shared your story, if you've been sexually abused or exploited, go, go tell someone right now, find a safe person and go tell them. So I picked up the phone that day. I called my older sister and I just started blurting out everything because what happened to me was when I heard her story, the floodgates opened, memories started coming back. I was 28 years old and it was the first time I was self-identifying. And my sister was just beside herself, and she said, I can't believe you're saying these things out loud. I've always known that something had happened, but we've never talked about it. So it was the day I found my voice, and it was the day of freedom and the day of heartbreak at the same time. So I'm on my journey of healing, um, and this gaping wound had been opened up inside of me. I didn't know what to do with it. Nobody around me knew what to do with it, but I started manifesting and started having really big problems because now the memories are sitting there and I don't know what to do with them. So I get into psychotherapy and he diagnosed me bipolar. He puts me on lithium Hmm. and I was in psychiatric care for nine years and I went through EMDR and, you know, my sobriety may have come, lot easier that second time around, but fighting for my sanity did not, I have, I had to fight hard and long to get those memories out of my mind and to come full circle and actually going back to the complex trauma and going back in my mind, I actually relived it for the first time because as a little girl, your brain tries to protect you and you disassociate from what's happening to you. Right. So for the first time, when I had to speak the words aloud, and I had to go back to what I was feeling, smelling all these things, you actually go through it for the first time, and your brain goes through the healing process. So I was amazed at how I was transformed for me to be able to go out and share my story today is truly a miracle and if you knew me back then and you saw where I am today you would say wow that's God because that's what my family says they're like what you're speaking where what you're doing what because that's there's no way God's using you (laughs) and it's true I admit it I mean I have no problem with that I was a broken 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 woman I had very big emotional problems and, um, there was a reason for that. So if anybody's stuck in that emotional chaos, you know, and in that complex trauma, there is help out there. So that's what gives me the want to and gives me the desire to go out. And when I meet woman after woman after woman, and we've met many men too, every time we go out on outreach, and we see them start their healing journey, and I know their potential, and I know that God can take them from the pit to the palace, I'm in. I'm like, I'm in, and I'm on fire for it. And it's been almost nine years altogether that I've been in full-time ministry, and I feel like I'm more on fire today than I am when I first started.
0: Right, right. That's so awesome. So when you were doing the, um, the EMDR and all of that, body trauma, reliving it so the body can, I suppose, process the shock and the trauma and release it. Um, You mentioned to me last night that after a few years, you stopped using the psychiatric drugs because of your healing and the reprogramming of the brain, and I guess your spirit was just at peace with your body. So um, that's possible too, right?
1: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I left that part out. (laughs) I forgot about that. So it's been 19 years that I have been drug free, 19 Uh, years, no pharmaceutical drugs. It's been a little bit longer for street drugs, but um, it is a testimony to God and to the healing modalities that are out there. And there is, help for sure because 19 years my son Caleb was born in the year 2000 I wanted to get pregnant and my doctor said you can't get pregnant on lithium and And it's been in your system for a long time so I don't recommend you get pregnant at all and I said you know what I know I've been delivered I know I have been healed and I know that I am ready to be a mom and I'm like and this is what I want to do so it took a lot of convincing but through you know prayer and convincing with him and my husband, they weaned me off of the medication, and it's truly a miracle that it's been 19 years of nothing—not one drop or drink or nothing. Like that's crazy to me. <laughs> that's amazing.
0: That's just a powerful so, testimony. Yeah,
1: and we have yeah, we have two beautiful children. Caleb's 18, and he is um, at UTSA here in Texas. He's the first one in our entire family to go to college, which just like blows my mind. Yeah. And um, our daughter is 13 and she's cheer captain, which blows my mind because I was not a cheerleader. I was a total driven stoner girl in high mm-hmm. school. So to see both my kids thriving and doing really cool, like things that are not from my family line and from our generations is really amazing. My husband and I have been married 22 years which is another testimony because marriage is hard, especially marrying a woman who was so broken and that really needed healing. So um, my husband had to go through a lot in the beginning, and um, he really stuck through it no matter what he was there for me, and that's a huge testimony in itself as well.
0: This is so powerful. What amazes me is how it took someone else's sharing their story and you listening to it in order for you to be able to even begin this healing journey of awareness of what happened and then of pursuing whatever means you had in uh, your fingertips to grow and to heal. So I'm so, this is, this is the reason for this podcast (laughs) is because if somebody else (laughs) out there can listen to this and know that you're not alone, it's okay to talk about these things. It's okay to seek help. And there's so many beautiful ways of, like you said, healing modalities and other people to connect to that can show you like how God has led them, how they've been able to do this. And so I'm so grateful for that one lady who shared her story that got you into this. And also for you coming on here and just telling us about the possibilities and, and then the beauty of, of how you now turn around and your sole purpose is to help others do the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So thank you so much. Lisa, where can anybody go and find you? Um, I know I follow you on Instagram. So um, I'm going to put your Instagram address on the podcast so people want to go follow you there. But where's a good place for them to reach you or to get a hold of NSA Ministries or if somebody out here hears this and wants to reach out for help? um, Where are you speaking next? Tell us how to find you
1: okay um, NSA girls org is our website so they can go there and at NSA girls is on Twitter and Instagram so okay. they can follow us there and uh, I will be speaking next Saturday on the 29th and I'm oh I think we lost you. There. Texas and I'm sharing my full story. Can you
0: say one more time and where I you Lisa? We lost you for like 2 sure. seconds there. Just say one more time where are you speaking on the 29th.
1: Yeah, it's at it's at Summit Church okay. in San Antonio, Texas. It's with Lisa, Bebeer and um Bianca Olaf. Right. They're um the main speakers there, but I'll be sharing on Saturday and I'm sharing my full story.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here and telling us your story and the revolutionary work that you're doing for all, uh, for all women that are in pain and struggling and have gone through what you've been through. Um, it's an honor to have you on here, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching you and continuing your healing and healing, helping others. Thank you so much, Lisa.
1: Thank you. It's an honor to be on here with you and to be able to share my story. And I do pray that Um, It will open up other women to the healing process as well, because these things are not easy to talk about, especially in the church today. And that's what I feel my purpose is, is to go into the church and talk about the real issues that women struggle with, with pornography and with abuse and domestic violence, and to be a voice in that church and to help our pastors know that we have women struggling every day that are coming to your services And um, we want to have safe places inside the church, specifically for those women. So I'm thankful to be on here and um, such an honor. Thank you so much.
0: Good, good. Yes, thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Tales of Recovery, and we will see you next time.